morning, church. Let's go ahead and jump up on our feet this morning. We are so excited to join together with as many voices as we can and declare who our God is, turn our eyes towards where our help comes from, and celebrate the character of our God. So let's celebrate this morning.
looking forward to this morning. It's so good to be in the house of the Lord. Why don't you turn to those that you've been singing with, tell them that you're happy to see him this morning. Let's greet one another. How would we describe our marriage before entering re-engage? Um, I felt it was pretty good. And I thought it was good. I felt like um, it could be better. We thought we had a really good marriage. Yes, but I knew something was a little bit missing. And I think the part that was missing was uh, the deep intimacy. The in communication. Yes. That's what he's talking about. Can we redo that? Sure. <laughs> We think alike, and we make decisions the same, so we really didn't have deep conversation. And re-engage encourages deep conversation. We had a healthy marriage, 40 years of not marital bliss, but it was healthy. Felt like this would be an opportunity to, to fine tune it. We felt like we had a good marriage, but we weren't having conversations that were deep and important. So after the first session of re-engage, um, actually going into it, we, we, there was a little bit of anxiety, not knowing what to expect and things, but we were uh, excited and encouraged coming out of it. Uh, we appreciated the, the large group setting where people uh, oftentimes were giving their couple's testimony. Uh, and oftentimes those resonated in some way with us and I'm sure with many other people. Well, I'd say the thing that really changed the most was our communication. Yes, we were able to have a deeper conversation because it was more guided. I think the issue was we didn't know how to get mm -hmm. to the deeper conversation and re-engage uh, the notebooks actually helped. The questions were awesome. They were great. Yeah, they were good. So the thing that really changed our marriage through re-engage is we spent some focused time every week really talking to each other about how the Lord was working in our lives, what we needed to focus on as individuals and as a couple. And, uh, you know, it was really a game changer for, for having that quality time with the Lord at the center. We've, uh, we've spent more time uh, talking about spiritual things. Actually, we spend more time praying. Together. Together. There were tools that we got that were excellent and we're using some of those tools just for an example we often will say now what are your expectations for this weekend or what are your expectations for um, today or whatever but we talk about our expectations so that we're just we're just communicating so much better and I really enjoyed the small group setting of each evening where we got to know couples a little bit better, a little bit deeper, and really learn about ourselves, um, listening about their story. Uh, we went just for enrichment, but, but I think I learned more about my relationship with God mm -hmm. and my walk with Christ, as well as how I entered it into my marriage. And I would say everybody should do it. Every couple, no matter what stage of marriage, they'll get a benefit out of it. 
a commitment to your marriage, um, just the long-term benefit of it is worth every, every ounce of work that you put into it. And the people who put the time into it definitely benefit from it. We can see that in our group every step of the way. It will reorient your, your marriage towards God's ideal. Mm -hmm. And we'd love that challenge. So I didn't participate personally in re-engage, but I have met with several couples who did. Uh, and what I was really impressed to hear how God had taken each marriage and moved them from wherever they were at to further and a deeper uh, commitment and love relationship with each other. And so much so that I've been praying for more couples to come into this next uh, session that we begin with re-engage. And so if you would just like to have an opportunity to just take your marriage from wherever it's at, like even if it's a young marriage or you've been married for years to go from where you're at and move, it, move the needle along and, and deepening that relationship. I'd encourage you to sign up for re-engage. There are limited spots. It's actually not... Uh, whoever, it, first come, first serve, uh, and the opportunity to sign up, you can do so today at the connection counter uh, over by the baptistry if you go out these doors to my right. Uh, additionally, we have an opportunity for uh, taking a class this coming semester called Perspectives. Now, back in the day, the uh, Perspectives course was hosted here a couple of times, and many people in our past have gone to that and also gone to Calvary Church where they've hosted it for several years. Well, we're bringing it back here, and you might say, well, what's Perspectives? Perspective is a, is a class, it's a college-level class that actually helps you understand God's heart for the world. Here at LEFC, uh, we have a huge investment, a part of our budget and our human resources, our leadership, uh, where we're investing in other parts of the world. And this class is very equipping to that end and helping us understand what we can do, what role we might play, and fully understanding and appreciating God's heart for the world. I am actually taking this class as well. Uh, so if you want to join me as a student in it, I would welcome having some fellow LEFCers. There will be several LBC students as well uh, taking the class, and that will begin here on August 21st. And as well, you can go to a connection counter out these back doors to the right and, uh, and be able to sign up or ask questions uh, there uh, if you want to participate in perspectives. Uh, additionally, I just want to say uh, thank you. Uh, July 1 began a new budget for us here at LEFC, and we just finished our second year in my 12 years where we were ahead of budget in our giving. And I just want to say thank you uh, to you as a congregation uh, for your generosity uh, because what that enables us to do is to continue uh, to keep I'm just using the analogy of uh, the pedal to the metal, if you will. Uh, we really are engaged with doing ministry both local and globally. And we're actually upping our game. Significant portion of our budget goes to our global missions and also some domestic ministries that are near here that, that we believe in and we're investing in them as well. And so we're just very thankful that we can go forward with confidence that the congregation's with us. And so I just want to say thank you. And as always, we, there are multiple ways to give. Uh, we don't pass the plate anymore. It's kind of a thing we've kind of lost during uh, COVID. And, and we're now you can bring your offerings in uh, as you leave or as you come into the room, or you can do so electronically. And by the way, you might be thinking, well, it's God's way to pass the plate. Actually, 
There was a place to drop your offering in when you came into the temple in Jerusalem. So if we want to do it God's way, we're now doing it. It just took a pandemic to figure it out. Uh, so having said that, we just want to appreciate your generosity and we want to continue to have a spirit of worship as we give. So I'm just going to pray real quick and then we'll continue our time of worship. So Father God, again, we're grateful for your provision. Uh, after all, you said you'll build your church and, uh, and you own the cattle on a thousand hills and you sometimes sell that cattle so that you can enable your church to continue to thrive and go forward. We wanna be good stewards of what you've given us and it's been special to watch how you're working in so many people's lives. So we just ask that you continue to lead us that we may follow in Jesus' name. Let's stand together as a church family, continue to set our eyes on Christ.
today, we want to rest in the, the fact that the name of Jesus holds power. And, and so much of our tendency, based on what the past week has brought or what the coming week will bring, is that we want to try harder to, to change lives, to do good, to, to do justice, whatever it is, we want to try harder to face the challenges in this coming week. In Matthew 11, Jesus says, come to me all you who are weary and burdened. And he doesn't say, try harder. He says, I'll give you the ability to fight. I'll give you the ability, I'll give you the strength you need. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. He says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I will give you rest for your souls. So this morning, we wanna sing to ourselves a reminder that there are trials and there are troubles that will come in the next week. But our hope is not in that we'll be able to try harder and we'll get through them. Our hope in that is that this battle is already won. Jesus has accomplished what he said he will accomplish. Jesus is accomplishing what he said he will do. And Jesus will accomplish what he says he will do. And we know the end of the story. And we can rest in that hope. So I wanna teach you this chorus. And we're going to sing this new song together. And I'm fighting a battle. You've already won. And no matter what comes my way, I will overcome. Don't know.
because of that peace, let's sing that it is well only because of the finished work of Christ. Peace in the troubles.
this is all of our hope, all of our stay. That we can declare that we know the end of the story. Whatever we're walking into this week, the worries that we bring before you in this moment, the the tough conversations and the, the headaches and the things that are in front of us, Lord, we know and we remember that in the end, there will be no sickness, there will be no pain, there will be no brokenness, there will be no depression, no anxiety. And all the things we have to face this week, Lord, you have gone before us. You have given us a hope that overshadows all of them. Lord, we are so thankful for this. God, we look forward to that haste today. That we'll get to see you face to face. Lord, would you help us to be wise? Would you help us to live in that truth and with that perspective? Whatever battles we have to fight, whatever things you've called us to this week, you have already won all that we need. You've provided us with all that we need. Forgive us for when we feel like we have to fill in the gaps. God, grant us rest before anything else. Lord, would you call us to your presence today? Pray this in the powerful name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Would you have a seat? Have you ever felt lost? Paralyzed by the twists and turns, the decisions and deadlines ahead of you? Have you paused before making a big decision? Prayed that the correct path, the wise path, would be easy to see? If you've ever chosen the wrong path, you probably still live with regret after seeing where you ended up. There's a different way, a straighter path, but it's not found in our own understanding. Let the wise listen. Let the lost receive guidance. The wisdom of God is available to all. Are you listening? Well, did anybody enjoy worshiping our Lord today? Man, it was just beautiful. And I love having all the voices up here. And uh, I mean, we were, it was, uh, this is the time of year where everything gets very interesting with the summer travels. First service was very full and it's a little thinner in here right now. So uh, I feel like it's a little bit more intimate as a result. And so if I look right at you, it's because I'm looking right at you. Um, So... But having said that, if you're new here, my name is Tony, and I'm pastor here at LAFC, and we are in the midst of a series uh, just speaking out of Proverbs, and several different communicators over the next few weeks will speak out of Proverbs that have meant something to them. Uh, It's a book written by Solomon, uh, given to all generations, quite frankly, to be able to live out a life that is in fear of the Lord and that will bring honor to him. So I'm going to ask you to turn right there. We're going to go right into Proverbs, and we're going to be in chapter 13 today. So if you could uh, open your Bibles. We're also going to be in multiple Proverbs today uh, with 13 
verse 20 being the anchor to many Proverbs that we're going to look at, as well as a little bit of a passage in Ecclesiastes. Uh, so while you're opening your Bibles to there and you're looking up Proverbs, I want to just tell a quick story that connects to the wisdom that is found in verse 20 here. About 20 years ago, as a youth pastor at a church where I was fairly new to the church, and we were building a very different culture, and like anything, when there's a change of leadership, there's buy-in and then there's rejection. It just happens. And, and so what I found is the juniors and seniors really loved the previous youth pastor, and so they really kind of checked out as soon as I started. But the freshmen and sophomores were really engaged and there was a good group of them and they were very mature, influential and on fire for Jesus. And what I liked is that there was also a core of them that were very musical. And so we began right away developing a worship team and band made up of teenagers. And, and they were good. I mean, they were very talented and good. So good that I would have felt very comfortable having them lead worship for the whole church. One of those members of that band that was a sophomore at the time, his name was Dan. And Dan was the bassist of the group, and, but he was more than that. He was the voc one of the vocalists. He was one of the primary leaders of our time. He would speak into the hearts of students. He would also lead Bible studies. He was the, also the glue in the sense of creating connection. He was always introducing himself to the new people and connecting others to, to those that were around regularly. So nobody felt like the outsiders if Dan was there. Dan loved Jesus, and, uh, and it was pretty awesome to watch a young man with that spiritual fervor. But a change began to happen somewhere in his junior year, where we started seeing the, a little bit of a diminishing uh, spark to him. And, and we're also not seeing him always as consistent around uh, the youth ministry at the time. And, and so I, I began to hear rumors that he was befriending a group at school that wasn't, what should I say, of great reputation. And so I, I pulled him aside and I, and I just said, hey, Dan, I'm, I'm, I'm really concerned for you. I've been hearing uh, you're hanging out with some other people. We're seeing some things change here. Are you okay? And, uh, and he said, oh, Pastor Tony, I, I got this. It's all good. I, I'm just reaching my lost friends for Jesus. And, and so I'm, I'm, I'm hanging out. I'm not doing the things they're doing. I am there while they're doing them, but I'm not doing them. And I, and I just cautioned him. I said, you know, you, you got to be careful because you're not always going to be in a position of strength to be able to say no to some of the things they're doing. And he's like, don't worry about it. I, it's all good. I, and, but I kept seeing him more and more over the months to come spending more time with them and less with those that would challenge him and encourage him. Slowly, he faded away to the point of the time he graduated from high school. We hardly ever saw him around church. He went off to college, and I didn't hear anything from him, but somebody from our youth ministry that had known him in high school was also at that college, and that person reached out to me and said, Tony, you've got to reach out to Dan. He is not in a good place. Well, it was close to a school break, so I reached out to Dan and, and said, hey, can we get together when you're home? 
He agreed to that. So we got together at the local smoothie shop and, and we're sitting across the table from each other and I just asked like how school's going, what he's been a part of, where he's making friends and so on. And I said, well, Dan, I'm gonna be honest with you. Uh, one of your friends from high school that's at your school and college is concerned about you and said that they, they feel like you're, you're making some compromises that you're gonna regret. And he, go, and he admitted, like on the spot, to being a part of the drug scene and alcohol and getting drunk regularly. And, uh, and I said, well, isn't, aren't you seeing that this is going down a, good, a bad path? And he said, you know, actually I find that when I'm high, I actually can think better. I can think more clearly. And I, my grades get better. And I'm looking at him like, I don't, that doesn't sound accurate to me. And then, and then he says, and don't worry, I'm sharing Jesus every time I'm with them doing these things. I'm like, you mean you're getting high with them and you're getting drunk with them and you're sharing Jesus? By what are they gonna listen to you and want what you have? And he goes, no, they really are listening to me. It's, it's, it's all good. And I think I'm really at peace with this. There I wanna caution he said that word to me. I am at peace with this, which was him saying, I believe God has given me peace for this. Have we not heard people, regardless of age, making decisions that we know God would never make and God would never do, but then we'll make a claim saying, I'm at peace with this or God has given me peace with this as to say, God approves. It's a feeling, but we can't back it up from Scripture. And we certainly can't find model with it with Christ. But that's what he was trying to imply. The further we went, the more he became defensive as I was challenging him on some of the decisions he was making. And then finally, it got to that place. He says, Tony, I've got this. You don't need to worry about this. To which I, something came out of my mouth I didn't expect. I said, Dan... God is a jealous God. He won't let his name be mocked. And if you're going to mock his name by giving, saying he approves of these things, he will either let you crash hard and then you'll have to rebound from the crash or he'll take you to spare his name. When that came out of my mouth, my eyes got big and so did his. I've never called out a potential end on someone's life but I never felt more compelled to say something than in that moment. I'll be honest with you, as we departed that day, how the story went was, that was the last time I saw him. For just a few weeks later, while drunk, was driving on the wrong side of a freeway, hit head on into another car and he went into eternity. I can tell you I saw God at work in him for several years and I also saw him begin to wane in that passion. I don't know how God handles all those things but I am confident in what I saw was God in him. But I'm also confident God protected his own name and actually showed mercy to Dan that he didn't let his life go any further. It was hard and difficult to speak at that funeral. Finding words of comfort, knowing what we all knew. His parents grieving deeply. 
These are not stories that any of us wish to ever experience. But too often we can see the stories of many people who were once in a place of honoring God, loving God, filled with wisdom and, and passion for good things and all of a sudden being the fool. How do they move from there, from one place to the other, is often a slow journey. But it usually begins with the company you keep. Look at verse 20 in Proverbs chapter 13. It says this, walk with the wise and become wise. For a companion of fools will suffer harm. Walk with the wise and become wise, but be a companion of fools and you will suffer harm. So let me define a couple words here. So who's the fool? Well, a fool would be anybody that has access or has received wisdom that they've rejected. So they've heard it. They've observed it. They've seen it and they've experienced it. They can even call it out, but they choose not to apply it. That is a fool. Now, not everyone who is an unbeliever is a fool because sometimes even believers can be somewhat simple and ignorant. I mean, consider our children as they're younger. They're growing up. They don't have all the access of wisdom that life brings to us over time. So it's not that they're fools as much as it is they're ignorant. They're naive. They're still learning. But the fool knows but they have rejected. They've turned their back on on good wisdom. But it says here, it's the companion of fools. So it's in other words, it's a person who's with a group that has chosen to reject any kind of wisdom or offering of guidance that might have come from those who are living lives a lot better than them. They're, they're hanging out, they're spending time with people, and it says it will lead to harm. So companion is more than just a friend. Many of you here in this room I know well and I would call you friend. But I wouldn't necessarily say we're companions. We're, we're in the company of each other often enough where our character shapes each other, our behaviors shape each other, um, our thoughts are begin, begin to be regulated in, in regard to each other. Some of you, yes, but not all of you. Some of my friends I haven't seen in years, but I still call them friend. But there are companions, people that I'm around regularly, that, that I'm often in the company of, that yes, we shape each other just by being together. So what it says here is it's not just about friends who might be a bad reputation, but it's literally those you do time with, those you are in company with, if you are with them a lot and they are fools, you will eventually suffer harm. Which then begs the question, what kind of harm can you suffer if your company, those you're hanging out with, those you're spending time with, what kind of harm can you receive? Well, glad you've asked. So here we go. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul says this, do not be misled, bad company corrupts good character. So one of the first ways we can suffer harm by having the wrong type of influences around us is our character. Now some of you here in this room are on the older side, some of you are on the younger side. 
what is common to all of us here in this room, regardless of age, is our character is being formed daily. There is not an age where your character ages out in its formation. It is always being formed, which is why, regardless of age, we must continue to not rest on our laurels like we talked about last week and continue to nurture our character. And part of the way we nurture our character is by surrounding ourselves with people who are of good character. And so if we hang out with fools, if we are in the company of fools, it will corrupt our character. It will change our value system. It will change our internal nature to being predisposed towards things that are not wise, but are rather foolish. Additionally, harm can come to us by our behaviors. So if our character starts shifting and leaving that of a good place and becomes more towards a place that's not so honorable or wise, then it's also true that because character is who we are, the substance of who we are, our behaviors will begin to change. Consider this out of Proverbs 22. So just turn a couple pages to the right. Into Proverbs 22, we're gonna look at verses 24 and 25. And it says this, Solomon continuing on this subject. Do not make friends with a hot-tempered person. Do not associate with one easily angered. Or you may learn their ways, their behaviors, and then get yourself ensnared or caught or trapped. So what's Solomon saying? All right. So if your company is with a bunch of fools that are rejecting wisdom, rejecting things that others have said, that's not a good idea, I wouldn't go there. They cut corners, they're very flippant with life. If you're around them, then not only will your character shift, but whatever their behaviors are that have manifested out of that character, you'll start to see your own behaviors looking like them. I'm not naturally, by the way God's wired me, a hot-tempered person. But if you get me around people who have tempers, which a couple of my friends when I was in college had that, I found that as I was hanging out with them that I got to a place where I started being very quick triggered with anger. What was fascinating during COVID for me was when everybody disconnected and we started living from home, the only way to connect for many of us was through social media. The problem with social media is that it became a place of ranting. So what ended up happening is people that I would not normally know as people that would rant or just be bitter or angry uh, or whatever became bitter and angry and would rant because the only communication they were reading was of that and it was shaping their character and their behaviors began to look the same. So I praise God the church reconnected. Now we can tether to each other. We can affect each other to say, you know what? Being quick to anger Quick to complain is not healthy. Now, some of you might say, well, that was something I struggled with when I was younger, but not so much now. Oh, yeah? Well, let me test you. What if I was to start talking about politics right now? I could probably say up to two or three names and immediately get reactions. I could mention policies or rules that have been established in the last I don't know, 18 months or so, and get you riled up. 
I can get you riled up pretty quick about some of the decisions about our investment in the world or policies concerning finances. You see where I'm going. And what happens is if your company is a TV screen that's constantly talking about the negatives of what's going on, it's gonna cause your spirit to be that. And then when you go out and you're among people, you're gonna, what are you gonna be able to discuss? Well, whatever you've been able to think about and whatever you poured yourself into. So you talk the same talk shows and news shows that you've been watching all day and then it becomes a gripe fest. I have found that some of our, our most mature among us are the first and quickest to gripe about what's going on in life. And rarely do I hear something constructive that would be offered to somebody younger that would be a blessing to them. And what's happened is that the conversations are circular and they don't change, it's the same. So our company, which includes media, can begin to shape our character, our lens, and our spirit, and therefore affect our behaviors and our conversations and we find that we're really not a blessing to other people. And the things we talk about really are not life-giving. The younger generations are in need of our wisdom, not our complaint. Please hear me in that. Our older generations need to hear this. Our younger generations aren't in need of our complaint they are in need of the wisdom that we have learned throughout our life that comes from Jesus and his word. So being a company of fools can suffer harm in our character, our behaviors. But there's another thing that takes place that, become, that can become wounding. It can be harmful to us because of relationships that maybe aren't as deep as we thought. So let's look at chapter 19, verse 4. So Proverbs 19, verse four, and it says, wealth attracts many friends, but even the closest friend of the poor person deserts them. Now what's Solomon saying there? And that's, he's speaking to something that is still as real then as it is today. And, and that is that we're often attracted to people based on what they can provide for our own pleasure. And we don't realize that the foundation of many of these relationships are based on that until we go through something where it shifts the dynamic where no longer is that relationship a pleasure to us and then all of a sudden we're gone. Now, it's not a bad thing to be wealthy and I certainly wouldn't shun a friend just because they have wealth. But if that's the cause or reason for why I'm friends with them, then when things get a little testy, I'll tap out. I'll be gone. And that's what happens is that sometimes our relationships are so superficial, it's built on the pleasures of life, that when things become difficult and we're in need of that good friend, we all of a sudden realize they were never the friend. And then we're wounded because they bailed on us. We weren't who we thought they were. That's tough. I've lived it. Proverbs 18, verse 24, just a little bit before that, says, one who has unreliable friends soon comes to ruin. An unreliable friend soon 
leads you to ruin. Because at the point when we are struggling in life, it's awesome when we have that friend that when we're weak, they're stronger. They can pull us up. But when we are surrounded by a company of fools that are not reliable, and when we're going through that hard time, and we need their strength to pull us up, they have no strength to pull, and they might not even be around. Because they know they don't have anything to offer, so they bail. But here's where we'll transition a little bit in our thinking. Verse 24 ends with, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. So back to verse thir- chapter 13, verse 20. Walk with the wise and you become wise. So let's talk about that. Who are the wise ones? Well, wise people are those who are humble learners. Wise people are humble learners who live by what they have received from both God and others. Give me a person that's constantly a learner that receives from other people and from God and I give you a person that has learned well that life is always a challenge and that you must keep growing and your character is still being formed and every day they do not neglect the nurture of their soul. That's really important to understand the qualities of a wise friend. Think about this. Dan had many wise friends. It was when he left that group and solely became more committed to those who were fools that his character began to shift and his behaviors began to change. Initially, it was all strong and good, and he was the influencer, not the influence. But over time, he became the influenced. He had left those who were wise, they were humble learners, and he thought that he had arrived, and he understood all he needed to know to go into any place and just live out Jesus, not realizing that he still had much to learn. The wise continue to learn. Also, you can say that good friends are also essential to that. So if we're gonna be humble learners from not only God but others, then we need to see that we are in need of each other. After all, in Genesis it said that to Adam, God said it's not good for him to be alone. He needed companionship. It's also true that beyond just that husband and wife relationship, we need good friends. Let's look at Ecclesiastes chapter four for just a moment. So it's just after Proverbs. So it's just going to the right a little bit. And in Ecclesiastes chapter four, starting in verse nine, listen to what it says. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. So this isn't necessarily talking about husband and wife. It's like, no, if you're doing it together, there's gonna be more accomplished. Verse 10, if either of them falls down, the other one can pick them up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Now it gets to talking maybe a little bit more about husband and wife, but it says, also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Verse 12, though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. So Solomon is, is basically saying, listen, you're al- if you're alone, you're to be pitied. 
Because you do not, in your moment of weakness, have anyone to be strong for you, to pick you up. But if you have that friend or that person that is nearby that is the true friend, that is truly wise, then when you're in a weak moment, you have strength to draw upon. So too, that friend, when you're with them and they're in their weak moment, you can be strong for them and be that person that picks them up. Pity the person that goes life alone without a counsel of the wise. Okay, go back to Proverbs chapter 27. So just a few pages again. Starting in verse nine. Perfume and incense bring joy to the heart and the pleasantness of a friend springs from the heartfelt advice. So there's something about when you're surrounded with the right people that are wise and are living life wisely, are living it to the glory of God and acknowledge that God is the leader of their life, that when you're around such people, when they are willing to give you advice and you feel like as soon as you hear it, you know, that's good. That is really good advice. This past week, I experienced that multiple times where somebody would give good advice to something and I'd be like, ooh, that's really good. That's gonna help me do what I gotta do next even better. That is like perfume, an aroma, something good. It just fills up your lungs with some good fresh air, which we haven't had in a long time around here with all the Canadian wildfire smoke. And so when you, but when you feel like you've got some good air in your lungs, that's what it's like when you receive that good wisdom, that piece of advice that is gonna help you with what lies next. God has designed us to need each other. Look at Proverbs chapter 15, starting in verse 22. Plans fail for the lack of counsel, but with many advisors, they succeed. Now, implied in that, if you were to get more context, it's the advisors of the wise. So if you're around the wise and you walk with the wise, it says, is as it says in chapter 13, we'll become wise. So plans fail for the lack of counsel. In other words, if you're gonna go it alone, you're gonna reject all other advice, your plans are likely to fail because it could have been so much better with good advice. I will tell you, I am a very blessed man because of the people God has placed around me. I am blessed to be able to sit at the elder board and have 11 others be wise around me, offering counsel that I need. We mutually sharpen each other when there might be something slightly off. Other feedback comes from other parts of the room and there's an ironing, sharpening iron and the benefit is that we all are the wiser for it. I too get to benefit from our pastoral leadership team where both men and women are able to offer their lives and their hearts that, that are so driven for ministry that provide wisdom for life. I draw upon them regularly and this past week was beautiful as, as different pastoral team members would come and offer advice on different things, totally disconnected. And I just felt like, look at the wisdom that just keeps coming to my ears. I am blessed. And then I am blessed to have a life group where I can be just me. 
And, and my wife can just be her. And we're a part of a group that, that gets to share life with each other. And, and we get a laugh together. We've cried together. We've spoken wisdom to each other. We've inspired each other. And I can tell you when there's been weak moments, we're strong. We're, somebody else is strong in the group and we pull each other up. Or we get to celebrate when something good happens, which happened this past week as opportunities for the gospel happen and we're celebrating together. There's something about that that gives life. And then I have two men that I've been meeting with for nearly 12 years now on a monthly basis and their role is to question me in my character and my behaviors and my spirit and to be a nurturing uh, operator in my life so that I can make sure that I'm not operating with blinders on and that I can see things better. And, and, and those two men are Hank Rogers and Greg Heisey and I think Greg's in here right now. Hi, Greg. If I speak anything wrong, call me out later. Gently, please. But those two men I've been meeting with for 12 years now, and they have given me so much life by the things they've spoken. And not all of it is easy to hear. But like so many others in this church, there are ones where God sends some of you in to give me that quick word to help me hear something that maybe I didn't see before. It, it goes to strengthen my life. And then yes, God uses me when you're in points of weakness that where I can be an encouragement and strong for you or provoking you to something better. That's what we do together. That's how the church is meant to operate but there's another thing at play that's subtly built within this that I must address, and that is there are people that are fools, that are even antagonistic to the gospel, that needs our lives invested in them. So how do we do this, where we walk with the wise and become wise, and avoid being the company of fools where we become like the fool, but at the same time be used of God in a fool's life? or in a person who's not a believer? And that question's a fair question to ask. So I take a look at Jesus, and we know his reputation is, is that he sat at a table with prostitutes, he sat at a table with sinners, he sat at a table with tax collectors. These were all people whose reputations were awful. But yet what we saw is those sinners, those prostitutes, and those tax collectors began to follow after Jesus, and their character was being transformed. So how do we interchange with life with such a people and be the influencers and not the influenced? And so we must look at Jesus as the model, and I call it the 80-20 principle. Now, don't get caught up with the numbers being absolute. It's just more an observation. But if you look at Jesus' life, 80% of his time approximately is being with and given to those who are pursuing God with him. And they are being that wisdom among wisdom and sharpening each other and being able to prepare themselves for doing ministry among the 20%, so to speak. And then Jesus would go and spend time, 20% of his time, with those who are not anywhere near where God is, or pursuing God with their lives. But here's the thing. When Jesus would engage that 20%, if you will, he was always doing so with intentionality of reaching their heart. 
Not to become like them so that he could master their lives so that he could have influence with them. No, he went with intentionality to be the influencer, not the influence. And he rarely did so without those that were called his disciples. He would engage the worst of the worst, but not flippantly. Just like Dan, I believe initially Dan's heart and his intentions of reaching these students that that were partiers in high school, I think initially his motives were good. But along the line, he he forgot what the purpose was because he began to disconnect from those who would have sharpened him. And slowly, his 80-20 switched 80% of his time with fools and 20% of his time with those pursuing Jesus. And then he became defiant. So you can look at this and say, all right, so God does want us to be influencers. But the only way we can be influencers with somebody who needs Jesus is if we maintain a healthy investment from those that are pursuing Jesus with us. We need each other to be speaking into each other's life, which leads me to where I wanna conclude this sermon, which is identifying three key qualities of a healthy, wise friend. The first one being this, a good friend will love unconditionally. Proverbs 17, 17 says this, a friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for a time of adversity. If things get difficult, a true wise friend will stay the course with you. They will be reliable. They're not gonna bail on you. And they are gonna have your best interest in mind. And yes, sometimes they're gonna speak difficult things. But they will love you unconditionally. Secondly, a good friend will push and provoke you to do things as Jesus would do them. Again, a good friend will push you and provoke you to doing things as Jesus would do them. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up being together or meeting together as some are in their habit of doing, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day approaching. So the writer of Hebrews is saying, when you know that there's somebody pursuing after Jesus, don't stop being with them. Don't stop coming to church. Don't stop being a part of a life group. Don't stop being part of an ABF. Don't stop being, discon- don't stop being connected. Be, remain connected so that life can be provoked by good things. It doesn't always feel good, but it is needed for the sake of our character and our behaviors. And then lastly, a good friend will not lack in zeal or energy in pursuing Jesus. Romans 12, verses 10 to 12 says this, be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Doesn't that sound good? Be devoted to one another, honoring one another above ourselves, not lacking in zeal, but keeping our spiritual fervor, serving the Lord. I believe we're given this because there are times when maybe my spiritual fervor is lacking. Maybe I, my passion for the Lord is waning a bit 
And then I get around my brothers and sisters in the church. And they might be in a place of strength and I need to draw upon that. But pity the person who's trying to walk with Jesus but has nobody around them because they've walked away from them. That is a foolish move. But let me tell you, God has designed us to need relationship, but, he, but to seek out relationships that'll lead us to a path of wisdom and connectivity to Jesus because that's where life can truly be found. Will you join me in prayer? So Father, we know that you created us to need relationship. We also know that you created it in such a way that those relationships are meant to be constructive and build us up. We also know that the enemy then will choose to use relationships as a means to tear us down. Help us to not be fooled and to lack wisdom by becoming the company of fools and being a fool ourselves, but rather to draw on the strength of wisdom and those who are wise so that we can help the fool see that they need to change and to point to life beautiful that's found in Jesus. So reset our vision, recalibrate us to see the need for having our character formed regardless of age by those who are pursuing Jesus with each other. So God, may we not go it alone, but go it together. Speak to our hearts now, I pray in Jesus' name. And would you stand as we respond in prayerful song?
not sure what level of biblical understanding you may carry, but I think if you've been in this church for any length of time or in a church that's been teaching the word throughout your life, you'll know that by nature, we're all depraved. We all fall short of the glory of God. We, we are not, if left to ourselves, would never pursue God. And so we're bound for foolishness. But because of God, we can find wisdom. And because of God, we can find strength. But that comes in the work of Christ on the cross, where he can then, by the power of his blood, cover over the work of Satan and our sin nature that wants to war against us and make us to become fools in this life. God wants us to have a life that is abundant and beautiful and helpful and beneficial to others. Not a self-serving approach to life, but one that gives life to others, to the glory of God. If you do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, who has paid the penalty of your sins, confess to him your sins, give your life to him, make him Lord of your life, and then let him change your character and change your behaviors and let him surround you with his people that can bring that about as well as we pursue him together. If you'd like to pray with someone, we'll have people in the encounter room that'd be glad to pray with you and talk with you. I'll be up front as well. But as we go out these doors, may we be influencers, not the influence. May we sharpen each other so that we can be of benefit to those who are still blind to the work that Jesus needs to do in them. Because there is a people, many of them, that needs the wisdom of God. May we be that, not in joining them, but showing them the way. Amen? You are dismissed. God bless.